This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we got a really unique episode with David Sims talking about hunting and hip boots. I'll preface the whole podcast by saying a quote from David, I never started killing bucks until I started hunting in hip boots. So that's the whole precursor to the whole episode you're about to listen to. Really great information about hunting in water, near water, the uh, habits of deer, some of their behaviors. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Before we get started, let's give a big shout out to Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's taxidermy art. Cousin Smokehouse is home of the original pork jerky. And also, I'll drop this for you. They are the new title sponsor of the Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge, which is coming March 9th in Pollock, Louisiana. So be looking for a lot of information on that. But as far as Cousin's products go, they have two flavors out. Traditional style, which is a favorite amongst everybody. And then they've got Cane Fire, which is a little hot and a little sweet and guaranteed to keep you warm in the deer stand this year. So make sure you keep some in your hunting bag. And also Steve German's taxidermy art. The only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to bring your deer back to Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point in Vider, Texas at Ty's Taxidermy. If you're headed eastbound on I-10, drop it off and they take care of it from there and you get your deer back fully mounted. I mean, what could be better than that? So y'all be sure to check out Cousins and Steve Germans online and let's get on to this week's episode. All right, guys, on this week's episode, we're on the phone with David Sims talking about some unique approaches to the woods, especially hunting around water, hunting a lot of what David has grown up is in the Chafalaya Basin and some tactics that he's spread to other areas that have worked for uh, helping him be successful. So, David, thanks for being on this week's show with us, man. All right, man. I know you and I spoke yesterday on the phone and, you know, I had a couple of topics that I threw out. Uh, that I wanted to cover with you, you know, one of which was trying to cope with losing an animal. You know, it's something that's inevitable for all of us. Um, another one was, uh, you know, just some general hunting styles in a regular hunting conversation. And then you said something that once you said this, I, I was like, yep, that's it. That's what we're going to do. And your statement was, I never started killing bucks until I put on hip boots. So tell us a little yeah. bit about your, your, you know, your history of hunting, um, you know, wh- where you grew up, where you're from and, and, uh, and all of that. Yeah, man. So I grew up mostly hunting, uh, in the Atchafalaya basin, uh, all public land, a lot of state lands and school board stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, and as I was younger, I mean, we hunted and, and, and I shot deer, you know, followed my dad around, but kind of once, uh, my sisters were born, he slowed down a lot. So there was a, a kind of a stretch in my life where I didn't do a whole bunch of deer hunting. Uh, then when I got back into it, I kind of followed my uncles around, but we, you know, we were successful. We saw deer and stuff and I shot deer, but I really didn't start killing bucks until I started wearing hip boots to deer hunt. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that kind of changed everything for me. Um, just getting in the water. Uh, it also solidified a few things that I'd learned from, from one of my uncles used to tell me, he was like, I don't really hunt sign. I just hunt an area. So I walk into it and I think if I was a deer, this is where I would go. This is where I would escape. This is where I would hang out, whether there were cattle trails in there or not, you know, it rubs and scrapes. Like he just hunted those spots. And I realized the same thing when you get into the water, a lot of times where we shot deer in the water, that you didn't see a bunch of sign in that water, but they were there, you know, and, uh, man, hunting got a lot more fun at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what, what we talked about yesterday and I kind of, <laughs> I hate that we had such a good conversation yesterday cause I feel like I'm just going to repeat myself now with you. But the really interesting thing about that style of hunting or, or that type of tactic is that you're not giving a whole lot of consideration to, sign like you said or that immediate area and so you know the way we generally pick hunting spots is we we walk through the woods we find something that catches our attention whether it be new sign or old sign and then we make a decision okay is this where I want to invest my time today or not and usually you find that sign you figure out where the wind is and how it's blowing and you try and get downwind from your best guess as to where you think that deer might come from well that is all a consideration of a, you could say like a, a microscopic area, maybe like 20, 40, 50 yards or something like that. What you're saying you're doing is you're hunting areas where there is no sign. It's a lot of gut feeling, right? And so, right, right. you know, your uncle, how old was your uncle when he, when he taught you this? Man, I'd say he was probably around 30, 35. Yeah. And man, he shot some deer and he shot nice deer, a lot of nice deer. Um, he was the only person down there killing good bucks. You know, everybody else is just shooting whatever came out. And he consistently shot good rack deer every year. Now, I mean, if we're, let's just talk openly about that and why that might be. You know, sometimes the big bucks, when they get pressured, they're really hard to pattern, right? And so right. maybe hypothetically, He's killing these deer going and going in, finding, finding areas to hunt basically off of a gut feeling and also past experiences. You know, it's been proven to him that hunting an area where there isn't uh, a red flag of sign or a bedding area or, you know, fresh shit on the ground or a fresh rub or a scrape. He's hunting a wide, a lot of times a wide open area or a travel route to somewhere else where there is good sign. But what he's doing is if a buck is always uh sporadic and random especially during the rut i mean you can't pattern any deer during the rut at all if you're hunting a large area where uh, you know maybe we would call it an observation stand if you will and you and i talked yesterday about the different how you would hunt an area based on a bow and versus a gun i'd like to talk about that but um he's uh he's essentially setting up for the random behavior of a, of a buck and it seems to put him in position where it's an unexpected spot and the deer are coming through there and it works time after time from what you're saying it's a much more of a consideration for what goes around you like the area around this section where there's no sign right more than it is honing in on what's happening in this 20 yard circle you know and so what it got me to do by watching him, because Lord knows how many times I went in there and helped him drag deer out of some of these godforsaken places. <laughs> uh, but every time I go in there, I would look and I would look and I'd be like, man, so if he's going to hang out in here, where can I go find something that looks like this? Well, we're going to go across the bar. You get in this other swamp. And basically what it kind of led me to start doing was I scouted sign. No doubt. I never quit scouting sign. But once I found good sign, I immediately started thinking, well, where's the nearest swamp from here? How mm -hmm. far? is the nearest swamp and i guess it would kind of be like going find a buck's bedroom uh you know but right after the hurricane 
years ago, we had good deer and we had a lot of briar patches. Well, now the canopy's gotten so big in there that it's just wide open in those woods and it's hard to find the briar patches that these deer want to be in. So my, my natural transition was to go straight into water because mm-hmm. that's where they're hanging out. And that's kind of how I did it. I would We would hunt and find sign. And once we found sign, I went find the nearest swamp and got way back in the middle of it with hip boots or chest waders. And near many mornings, we'd go in there and, and hunt wood ducks. Uh, I'd carry my climber and my decoys in. And we'd shoot wood ducks. And then uh, after I quit shooting wood ducks, 8 o'clock, I'd just climb the tree I was standing next to and deer hunt until noon. And killed many deer walking through there in the decoy spread. That's awesome. Or seen many, at least, you know. Yeah. Didn't shoot them all, but. You said, didn't you say you killed one that was smelling a decoy? It did. I shot a nine point that was actually sniffing a wood duck decoy <laughs> right under the tree. That's was, awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And look, that was at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I heard that deer coming through the swamp for an hour. And I probably he probably wasn't 100 yards from me when I first heard him. Wow. So cautiously walking through. And I could see very far except this one little finger of like button willows Mm -hmm. and i don't know how he got he was getting through that but that's where he came through and he got to the slough i was sitting on and he was right under me he really had no choice but to sniff the decoys you know when i think about hunting this way and hunting this type of uh, you can call it a condition because the water isn't always in the woods like that um, right. I'm, I'm thinking about this exact time of year. I'm thinking January, late December. I'm thinking gloomy, nasty, rainy days. I mean, it, it's Saturday, man. You and I are both at home, uh, not hunting. For now. Yeah, for now. It's Saturday morning. This is the only time I've ever recorded a podcast on a Saturday ever, by the way. Uh, it, because I'm, you know, it's, it's pouring down rain. I'm not, look, I love to hunt. I'm not going to go hate every second I'm in the stand, you know, hung on the side of a tree. I'm waiting until it passes or just about to pass and climb up. But, um, you know, we are in the middle of the, the types of conditions right now, this time of year that you're talking about, which is you're hunting primarily backwater. Uh, you're hunting, areas that aren't always underwater they might you might not have any any option like this to hunt until december 15th because it's all dry land up until that point um right and so you know are you are you always trying to stay on fresh ground meaning you know new place new place new place or do you have places that you pre-scout waiting for the water to rise to get in there and hunt it when the water's right yeah, so I would definitely have my favorite areas, and um, I'll hunt those areas with or without water. Um, a lot more successful, whereas I may see, you know, one or two deer in a whole weekend in those areas without water. Uh, once the water gets in there, you know, the weekends come where you may see 15 or 20 deer in the weekend, mm-hmm. um, and you start to get a lot more selective. Uh, a couple of random oak trees. I shot one one night with my buddy Kenan. Uh he and I went in there and I took off walking and there was no water in this spot. And like the general area I'm talking about right now is probably about a 600 yard square, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I bounced from where I shot this deer with Kenan to where I shot the nine point smelling decoy. It's probably about 400 yards apart, but I feel like I'm hunting the same deer uh, right there. And, you know, kind of walked back there and randomly found these three oak trees that I've been knowing about since I was 10 but didn't really know anything about it back then got in there, saw a fresh rub. And this was, oh man, this was early season climbed up and shot an eight point right there that afternoon. Now he's the only deer I saw that being said in January hunting that same area. I want to say I saw 18 and 19 deer in one morning Wow! all swimming and walking that Ridge, which is, you know, for years we hunted down there and you didn't see that many deer in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but I also wasn't, hunting in waders and hip boots or p-roads either yeah yeah that's um you know that's something that that's been really interesting this year is i tend to become a bit of a jehovah's witness for things that i really believe in their effectiveness i've always jokingly called myself a a jehovah's witness of lock-on stands um just just because i you know i think a lock-on and or mobile lock-on system is so so much more versatile than a, a climate stand. Now there are areas in the state where you have every tree is like a telephone pole. 
no limbs until you're 30 feet up and climate state oh, yeah. is perfect. But as far as, I guess you could say just like your average sample size of trees in the, in the, in the state, a lock on stand is going to get you a lot more concealed, might get you higher sometimes. Sometimes it'll keep you lower than a climber. Um, but at least you have almost every tree that you can get your arms around to climb. Um, and so that's one thing. And then the other thing that I've become addicted to is hunting out of my Puro. And, um, you know, I, I've got, I've got a pro drive, got a 17 foot aluminum duck boat and I, I, I'll use it for duck hunting. It's got a blind on it. Love it to death. I've had that. I've had a pro drive since I think 2012. And this is my second one. Love that boat to death. I have not taken it deer hunting at all this year because I'm finding areas that I couldn't even get a pro drive into and not, not, in, not, it doesn't. And look, this isn't like pro drive versus gator tail versus mud buddy. This is, you can't get a full size boat back here at all. Right. Anything. It doesn't matter what engine it has on the back, but when you've got a 50 pound Piro that you can, if you get stuck on a cypress knee or you got a small blip of Ridge that you need to drag over, you're doing it silently you're being effective, and most importantly, you're not wearing yourself out trying to get back in these places. Um, right. And uh, and so, when you're hunting this backwater, rainwater, floodwater that's in the woods, you also a lot of times don't have an access point to put a full size boat in the water at all. Sometimes, yep. sometimes you have to drag that Piro 200 yards through palmetto you know palmetto woods or or through oak flats to get to anywhere where the water starts and then you're going to paddle a mile back and that tool has led to a massive amount of success for me especially this year I mean I have really really depended on it a lot this year more than other years and what's cool is you know through Louisiana Bowhunter we post these pictures and um it, it I don't know if you're on Instagram or not but the amount yeah. the amount of interaction with posts and our followers is sometimes doubled or tripled or quadrupled if there's a scene of a guy paddling a pyro through the woods with a deer on the front you know people ju- i think it, i really feel as if it is the um it encompasses deer hunting in louisiana to the maximum it is it is something that is so it's like it's like crawfish or airboats or you know an alligator uh, these are things that are synonymous with Louisiana. Well, if you think about Louisiana deer hunting, what's more coonass than a Piro and the swamp and a deer, you know, and, no, no doubt. And, and so, um, it's kind of become like an icon or, uh, you know, the symbol of Louisiana bow hunter that w- wasn't intentional. It's just a tool, you know, um, it's right. like, you know, you have a tool bag and for some reason your hammer becomes the most popular tool you have. It's, it's not out of force. It just evolves, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've become a huge advocate for the Piro or um, using a small boat to get back places. And uh, it, it makes your life easier. It's easier to get your deer in and out without wearing yourself out. Um, it's extremely. And it's so much quieter to get so, through the swamp. Too. So quiet. I mean, walking. whisper quiet, whisper quiet. Yeah. And, and, you know, on last week's episode, uh, I told a story about how I paddled up on a doe that was bedded down against a, um, uh, a tupelo tree that was barely out of the water. In fact, I think this doe's feet may have been in the water and she was on dry land laying down. And um, I got within 20 yards of her and she never she looked at me the whole time and she never bolted until I bumped into something in the Piro and it made an unnatural sound. I think, you know, that they just aren't afraid of what comes from the water. You know what I mean? I think I think when they're in the water, they feel more at ease because things can't creep up on them because they have to make noise to get close to them, which is going to obviously alert them. And then number two, they like to be in the water because it is a bit of a, a refuge area. There's typically less threats in the water or near the water or coming from the water. And I think it's just kind of a, a, a point of reprieve, if you will. Oh, there's a lot less activity in there. And then the only thing, I mean, what do they see in the water? Ducks, you know, Ducks, an yeah. otter every once in a while, maybe some turtles and a now, log. I will tell you one of the things I noticed, and I, I have a couple of deer, a couple of pretty decent bucks that I've killed 
this way is like I'll have my regular stand that's way back in the middle of the swamp, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, it may be a you know three or four hundred yard walk from the boat to get to the water, and then maybe another two or three hundred yards, three or four hundred yards back into the water. Well, on days like this, when it's or when it's going to rain all night and you know into the morning. I'll go in there as soon as the rain quits or try to get there about an hour before it stops. And I hunt the edge of the land because I found that when it starts raining and pouring like that, those deer will move out of that deep water and they come to the shallower edges. Okay. And I don't know if it's because they're worried that they don't know how long this rain's going to last. Maybe the water's going to get too high. I, I hmm. never really tried to put that much thought into it. And I really started doing it on accident by walking in one morning after it rained all night, got up at four o'clock. You know, look, pouring down rain, drank some coffee, still raining, went back to bed, woke up, still raining, 630, still raining. Finally, at about 745, the rain looked like it was going to quit. So I jumped in the boat and I hauled to the back. And uh, as I got back there, I started easing in. You know, I said, well, I'm just going to hunt my way into my climber. And uh, as I started, I got to the edge of the water. And it had, you know, the water had had swollen from the rain overnight. And I stood there for a minute and I started looking and a deer stood up, a six point stood up probably 30 yards from me Hmm. and was looking around. And then three other bucks stood up. One of them was a pretty good nine point and I shot him. And I was like, well, man, I I wonder if this rain all night pushed him out of that deeper water where my stand was at. Yeah. And started hunting that way. And I, I don't know, I've seen that. At least in that area. I mean, I don't know if that happens everywhere, but I know that after a big rain, I've been way more successful with deer on the outskirts in the more shallow water. I don't know if it's they're worried that it's going to come up too high in there mm-hmm. um, or what, but that's one, been one of the things that I've tried to do. That's a that's a really interesting point because I I haven't ever kind of imagined that situation of you know what how does a deer adapt to, you know, immediate weather changes or water level changes? Normally when we're deer hunting, things are stabilized, right? Um, you right, know, right. They, they've adjusted to whatever the condition is of that day, but yeah, as it's raining, you know, of course a deer is going to realize when the water goes up and when it goes down. And so they're probably, like you said, on the edge of that water waiting to see kind of where it stays and if they can go back to their spot they were bedded down in the in in the water or if they need to go look for somewhere else you know um yeah so a a question that that kind of makes me wonder uh is in your experience of of hunting a water's edge and and i want to clarify when i say a water's edge i don't mean like the bank of a bayou i don't mean a water source that's always there. I'm mainly talking about when the water goes from a foot deep to six inches deep to one inch deep to dry land. Okay. Um, when you're hunting places like that and that dry land would be a ridge at that point in time, are you hunting on the dry land or are you hunting setting up in the water, uh, for that hunt? I I mean, it really just kind of depends on how I feel when I get there. I got to try to look at the water and see where I think they're going to be traveling. Mm-hmm. Any kind of buck brush, button willow type fingers that run through there, I think that that's where they're going to walk as opposed to the open water. Um, so if hunting on that dry land is where I can see where I think they're going to cross, then I will. But typically, I'm going to be in knee-deep water. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, It's not that ever deep. fun to put your climber on a tree in knee deep water because you got to hold your backpack in your you know yeah yeah your backpack in your mouth and you got your bow tucked <laughs> under your arm try not to set all your stuff down in the water because there's no place to put it yeah or you got to drag a floating log next to your tree and set your stuff on it but i mean knee deep water to me is is ideal i love it if it gets a little deeper than that i don't mind so i found when it's cold it, if it's belly deep on the deer typically it's a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. but if it doesn't reach their belly while they're walking around in it i don't think it bothers them at all and okay. i've even entertained the thoughts of i mean it's been quite a few years ago i think the temperature got down to 17 18 degrees down here and the swamp i was hunting was frozen and i was like well this is perfect because they got to get out of the water it's too cold yeah. there's no way these deer are going to be in there so i hunted like you're talking about i hunted the ridge around the edge of the swamp and the first three deer I saw that morning, I heard them breaking ice coming out of the swamp before they got to me. And the third, the fourth deer I saw that morning, actually, 
heard her behind me. I turned around and she swam the canal and came to my side, swam right next to my boat, came to my side, climbed up on the bank and then walked into the swamp. And I started thinking, well, I mean, that shows you what I know about deer. Yeah. 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 We... The four deer I saw did exactly the opposite of what I thought they would do because it was 19 degrees. So, uh, you know, still can't figure that one out. But Well, I mean, it, like you said, them. it's that cold. I mean, how many days a year does it get that cold in, in South Louisiana? Two? Yeah, I think it's one? happened once since then. Yeah, it might happen you know, once a year. Ten years ago. And, and so, you know, if you're a deer, you're – a deer isn't preparing for – major weather changes like i said a deer is a day-by-day animal there's no planning there's no forethought there's probably not a whole lot of uh a whole lot of thought of what happened in the past either or yesterday um but if 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 it if it gets to 19 degrees overnight and your your slew's frozen up or your water is frozen up a deer doesn't wake up and say, oh, it's pretty cold. I bet that thing's frozen. They're going to go over there because it's the other right. 364 days a year. That's right. what's normal. So they're they're only going to react to their environment of what the conditions are on that day. So like you said, you don't know anything. like shows what you know about deer, right? Um, they right. proved you wrong. Well, they're probably going to try and go through that area that they've gone through the other the last three weeks um, yeah, exactly. until, until they physically can't, you know? Um, because of, you know, ice restrictions or it's too cold or, or whatever. So that's, yeah, that's an interesting point because, um, you know, we wake up and we're like, oh, it's 22 degrees. I need to wear an extra layer. Uh, I need to bring my gloves, two more hot hands and a thermos of coffee to stay warm. A deer wakes up at 22 degrees and it's, it's just, just a little, another day. It's just another day. Yeah. And, yeah. and so why, and why would they change anything? You know? Well, and that's one thing I've learned, like, as I've gotten older and maybe, you know, you get older, you just get tireder. Um, but, I mean, for years, if the weather got to 20, 21, 22, you know, real cold, as a human, as a deer hunter, your natural thought is, man, I got to go. It's freezing. These deer are going to be moving. Yeah. But, man, I found I've hunted way more times in the snow down here whenever we do get it or when it's in the 20s and see nothing. Nothing. Now, yeah. give me a good 40-degree day. Our deer like that. Yeah. 40 yep. degrees, clear, sunshine, I, I dear love. I just don't find that, you know, I, obviously it's different in the Midwest where they get those cold temps and they're completely out of food. But on a year like this, I mean, we still, trees are already starting to bloom again. I mean, yeah. leaves are coming back. Our deer never ran out of food this year. Yeah. You yeah. know, on the leases where you're feeding corn and rice bran, they never had to go hit that this year. Yeah, Their natural right. brows never died. And I just don't find that, our deer down here. And I'm sure there's obviously there's going to be a lot of people that have examples that oh well, I mean, I hunted 20 degrees and we saw a ton of deer and it happens. There's no doubt, but I've tried it every time it's happened for the last 25 years. I've tried it. And I'm going to tell you, I see way more deer if it's 40 to 45 degrees, 38, 39 than oh, yeah. when it's freezing. I just don't think our deer like it. It's not what they're used. Like you said, it's not what they're used to at all. Yeah. You know what? I, you know what I think it is? I think, um, when we see those outlying weather conditions of extreme cold, um, I think what happens is we play in our minds how cool it would be to kill something in such a unique hunting situation. So we go, yeah, right. We like because yeah. I mean we, that would be a story for the rest of our lives. Oh, I killed my biggest deer in a snowstorm in November. <laughs> you know, like right. you know what I mean. Like nobody right. would believe right. you could tell that story for the next fifty years, and and it would be a great story, but. The reality is, is like you said, I think our deer go into shock when it gets to be too violent of a weather change. Um, I think they go into shock um, on extreme heat. I think they go into a shock on extreme cold, snow, ice. In fact, last year when it snowed down here at the beginning of December, I hunted during the snowstorm or during the snow on the ground and then after and the woods were a really eerie place. It looked like somebody had taken the woods and shook them up and hung it upside down for a while and then put it back together because every palmetto was laid flat. Every little right. every little weak twig of a tree that was a sapling essentially was either bent over in half from snow or ice weight or even snapped in half because of snow or ice weight. And... If you're a deer, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a deer 
that has uh, walked up to a limb that you cut 20 oh, minutes they before. they don't like it. They don't like when you adjust anything. And so imagine when the entire woods is turned on its head, right? And everything right. looks different. They're cold as shit. They don't know what this white stuff on the ground is. And everything's flattened or laid out because it can't support the weight that's on it. And if I was a deer, I wouldn't walk around freely in that. You know, no, um, no. but but I will say there are some people, like you said, that have had success uh, hunting in the snow. I think a lot of them, it's been like after nine or ten o'clock when the sun has gotten bright overhead and it starts to warm up even slightly um, where, you know, when you have the sunlight on your skin type of warmth, not necessarily right. ambient warmth around you. Um, well, I can tell you, I'm not used to hunting snow and we bow hunted that snow last year. We woke up and we weren't going to go. And as daylight was breaking, we were like, man, we got to go. I mean, yeah. what if we kill something in the snow, it's going to be awesome. I'll never blood trail the deer in the snow. Yeah. And we went and I put on my warmest clothes and it was great. Got in there and I was warm until about eight thirty or nine when it started melting. Mm-hmm. And I realized I wasn't wearing rain gear. And by the time I got back to my bike, oh, I was, man. it was 28 degrees and I was soaked. Like I'd been hunting in a rainstorm through and through my bibs, through and through my jacket down. I mean, it, look, I was cold mm. and I never thought about the snow melting. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm so warm. <laughs> this is perfect, man. I'm going to kill a deer in the snow. Yeah. This is going to be sweet. I wasn't going to shoot a doe, but I'm going to shoot one now because I want a blood trail one in the snow. Yeah. And come nine o'clock, it sounded like it was raining. And by yeah. 10 o'clock, I was, I was completely soaked all the way down to my base layers. And that was miserable after with a long ride back to the camp. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not saying strong. I won't do it again, but I will tell you. I will be more prepared next time. (laughs) Well, I'll be more prepared and I will have less expectations for the morning hunt. Um, Right. I'll do it just to go look at how pretty it is. Yeah. I think, I think if I, if I'm going to like, if it snows again this year or even next year, I'll probably skip the, the early morning hunt. If it's, if it's the rut or something like that, um, I'll probably go in around nine and hunt the rest of the day. If it's not the rut, um, I'll probably go in around noon and hunt the rest of the day because um, it is nice. But I think I think the uh, I think the evening hunts are a little more active in the snowstorm or in, in the snow period than the mornings are. Yeah. You know, um, I think those deer just just bed up, and curl up into a ball, and they don't move until they have to. You know. Yeah, um, I agree. But uh, well, you know, I know you've got a you you got a a brood of kids now. Uh, that you've got to take hunting. You said you're going. Where you, you headed out to some public land this afternoon with your son? Yeah, I think we're gonna go try this afternoon. Yeah, are y'all gonna gun hunt or bow hunt? Uh, gun hunt. It's primitive, but uh, I, he can shoot his rifle. So there you go. How old is he? I'm just gonna tag along and carry a chair. There you uh, go. He's eight. Awesome, man. That's fun. He's eight. It's had a rough year this year. He missed one. Uh, missed two. Shot had another one underneath us that his he didn't put a bullet in the chamber. Oh right. man, he blames it on me, so I guess I'll have to take the lick for that one. <laughs> yeah, come on. So Dad. he's still he's still very upset. Uh, at he's mad at the deer still. That's good. Normally by this time, you know, I think last year he had killed he killed three or four last year, and uh, he had a good year the year before. I think he killed two or three the year before. So he's. He's killed a bunch of deer, but he's pretty mad at him still after missing some opportunities. That's awesome. That's awesome. Have you done any public land bow hunting this year, or are you mainly hunting your deer lease? No, I did some uh, – I've, I've had a few hunts. I had been very successful. There have been so few and far between. I haven't really gotten to scout much. Uh, some of the areas that I normally hunt have been logged this year uh, and last year, so I've kind of had to move around a little bit. I have shot uh, – three or four hogs mm-hmm. on public land with my bow this year. Um, so, but normally at this time of year, this is when I'm actually doing my hunting. Like I'll probably sneak in one or two hunts in September with my bow on the lease, uh, early October. And then I hunt with the wife and kids up until, you know, December 1st. And usually after December 1st, um, they've all killed a couple of deer. They're happy. You know, they're kind of done with it. The cold weather really hadn't started. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of hook up with my friends and we really start 
getting after the public land deer or, you know, going on invites and hunting on my own. Yeah. 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 Uh, this year with my little boy, not having one, you know, a lot of those weekend invites have turned into, well, let me try to go back over here and see if we can get him one Yeah, where gun season's open. So, uh, that, that's kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it'll even happen. I shot a good deer in September and I don't really know if I'm going to see another one this year to shoot at. <laughs> well, if, if you're hunting in September, your lease must be Southwest then, huh? Yeah. It's in the Fort Polk area. Okay. Area gotcha. three. So yeah. we open early. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, yeah. We didn't talk about where your property was, but, um, talking about September, I figured it had to be over there somewhere in Southwest Louisiana, you know? Yeah. First deer I've ever killed in the month of September. Now where, now where do you live at? I live in Lafayette. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I haven't ever been on a, uh, in a deer club. I, I, I don't know if you've listened to the other podcasts or not, but, um, I'm, I really enjoy the pursuit of public land. Uh, I enjoy, and I, I've tried to, I've tried to really define the reason why I enjoy it so much. Cause it can be such a nightmare at times, you know, it can be, such a letdown or you feel like it's a waste of your time or somebody else blows your hunt or, or, or whatever. But, um, to me, public land is like the land of endless opportunity, you know? Yeah. But when it happens, it's, it's so much more gratifying. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's the, the pinnacle. Absolutely. So um, that's one of the things I'm trying to teach my little boy right now. Now, I mean, now that I never had a lease, never got a lease until I was 38 years old, I think mm-hmm. pretty much never hunted. I mean, maybe once every other year or so, got invited to hunt private land, but hunted public land my whole life, just out of necessity. That's the only thing I had. Yeah. And so we're just getting to the stage now with my little boy where we do start going to Sherburne every now and then, and we go to Thistleway. We walk around in just different areas, you know, Buckhorn. We just we do some walking, and we're starting to scout more on our lease, uh, you know, to where I'm trying to teach him that, Hey, hunting is not sitting in this thing and looking at a pile of corn all morning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he asked me, he's like, well, let's go hunt this stand. I'm like, I hate that stand. He says, well, why? But there's deer on camera. I said, there's only one thing to look at. I want to go hunt this one where we can see all this different stuff, try to see what's happening. Yeah. And so now that he's starting to get some legs under him where he can do a little more walking, we, uh, we do a lot more walking. That's awesome. You know, he's starting to ask more questions. Well, why would you walk here? Why would you walk there? And when you take some of those public land principles to private land, a lot of the public land we hunt down here, it's really hard to find a bedding area, right? Go walk through Thistleway and tell me where the bedding area is. <laughs> I dare you. They, those deer can just walk around, eat, and lay down. Anywhere. It's yeah. so thick. It's so thick. Same thing in, in other refuges and parts of the state. So, you know, hunting – some of these other clubs that I've been invited to and they tell you, okay, so this has all been thin. These trees are big. You know, these deer are bedding in this bottom over here. I'm like, man, this is really, this is perfect. Well, let's just go get in there. And a lot of things that those guys don't even do, you know, when you start to bring those public land tactics mm-hmm. to the private land, um, it's just so much more interesting, not sitting there watching a the feed pile. And Absolutely. that's what, that's what I'm trying to get him to understand and and that's you know we'll be at the lease for the weekend and we'll hunt sunday morning he's like hey you think we can go hunt the public this afternoon when we get back home I'm yeah like, Man, you gotta give me a break that's can i fu- take a nap that's funny <laughs> take a but nap? that's funny he, he wants to see things differently he wants it he's got it in him I, he wants to be a public land hunter and he will that's i guess awesome. that's my job well i mean it I, I feel like you learn so much more you know a lease a deer lease, and, and I, I want to preface this by saying I don't, I'm not putting anybody down that hunts on a deer lease at all, or 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 hunts a, a family property or, or something that's preset or something like that. But what I'll tell you is that um, I think the reason why people uh, oftentimes give up on public land and then start looking for a deer lease of any type is is for convenience factor. Time is a big reason. It actually doesn't have a lot to do with your hunting style. A lot of it has to do with what your life is like. You know, do you have yeah. time away for work? Do you, can you afford to, to drive two hours to uh, a good piece of pri- uh, public land to hunt? Um, you know, how many kids do you have? How old are they? You know, does your wife need you at home? Maybe you can only hunt one Saturday a month. Then, yeah, public land probably isn't right for you because – 
public land really is the law of large numbers. You have to put in a lot of efforts to have a pretty large rate of return, right? And no doubt. And so, uh, you know, pri- private land is where the convenience steps in. Like I said, you have places that you know are unaltered. Nobody's gone into. It's your own quote unquote spot, or it should be. Um, right. You can feed. You can run cameras, and you don't have to worry about it getting stolen most of the time, and and all that stuff. But when you can overcome all of all of those things on public land and kill something, especially something respectable, God, it, it is, yep. it's impossible to beat that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I love it because sometimes, like you said, sometimes the best part about hunting a piece of public property is you get to look at more. You get, you get this, um, there's already a thrill of finding the area that you have chosen to hunt. Okay, not that you have to hunt, but you say, "Hey, I love this spot. I'm going to give it a shot yeah. for the next two hunts." And then, if it, if you don't see or kill a deer, sometimes it's just a success that you didn't see another person. You know, right? Um, and and so that's the coolest part is when, you know, I, I've got to tell you, I have oh god, I don't know, thirty or forty hunts, maybe more. I don't. I should. I wish I kept track. I wish I was regimented enough to to write them down like Warren Womack does, but I've made, let's just say I've made 40 hunts this year and they've all been on private land. I'm sorry. And they've all been on public land. I have only one time in all of those hunts seen another person from the stand. And that person was 200 yards behind me on a totally different area than I was in. And he did not mess up my hunt at all. Um, right. and so like just that alone, like I said, 40 hunts, that's a lot, that's a lot. Yeah, of, that, that is a lot. That's a lot yeah. to not see somebody else. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty confident in my ability to find a place where I, and, and I joke about this. I don't know if where I'm hunting is really good or everybody knows about it and it's a gar hole. So they don't go there anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's only two reasons why people wouldn't hunt there. They don't know about it or it sucks, <laughs> you know? And so, well, I mean, I, one of the things that I enjoy about public land, I got a really good group of friends that I hunt with. We have a group text. We trust each other. Uh, whenever I do sneak off to go make a public hunt, I usually drop them a pin yeah. Let them know where I'm at, and I know I don't have to worry about somebody, go, you know, one of them going in there because they didn't find what they were looking for when they scouted. They'd be like, "Well, he found this. Let's go get up in there." You know, there's got to be some there. Uh, you know, and it helps, man, when you have a group of friends you can trust. You know, I, I have no problem telling any one of them, "Hey, man, I think the wind's right. I'm, I'm got a feeling these deer are coming from here. Why don't you go walk around there, see what you can find?" Yeah, and they do the same. Uh, you know, they've helped me out a lot in the last few years since since I started hunting with my kids. I don't have near the time to scout that I used to. So I'm not too proud to say, hey, I'm going in there. I think I'm going to go get back in this area that I hunted last year. And if one of them tells me, hey, I've been walking around in there a bunch, I think you need to move further east. Yep. Then so be it. I, I'm going. I trust them. And it's really good to have a network, man. I, you know, I think our group of friends, we, we – they're good guys to have for hunting buddies. I can say that. Yeah. Uh, especially on public land. They don't have kids yet. So, you know, they're, and, and I mean, that's kind of why mine slowed down. It's not that I can't go, but I really like enjoy hunting with my son. Yeah. So yeah. that's the main reason we got the lease because I, the places I was hunting, he just can't get to. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And, and, you know, kids have such short, attention spans and you know you don't want to walk an hour back into the woods and then he wants to go home an hour later oh, man you know and and that's that's the funny difference between my two sons one's five one's eight and they they're if they ever team up to deer hunt i think they'll be dangerous the five-year-old's real cerebral he wants to know why everything mm-hmm. why yeah, yeah. why do we do this hey what's that slow down like he's real slow and my eight-year-old's just a bulldozer He's like, ah, there's sign, there's tracks, there's rubs. Let's go that there, way. Him. Yeah. Let's yeah. kill him. Come on, get right here. We're going to kill him. You know? And my five-year-old's like, hold on. Why is this here? Yeah. Where did they come from? All right. Let's take a minute to think about it. And my eight-year-old, he's not thinking. He's, he's he, killing. Let's that's go. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Well, um, you know, I, 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 I've, I've met a lot of great people 
hunting public land. And, um, you know, it's funny. I have, I, I, I love to duck hunt as well. And I used to duck hunt on public land and that's an absolute shit show. I've given that up. Oh, that's no a, doubt. that's a disaster. Um, and that, that usually just ends up in frustration before the day even starts. Um, and, and so I have given that up. I do hunt Cadillac style. Now I've got a lease, I hunt on my boat. I mean, it couldn't be any easier. Only way it'd be better is if somebody, you know, clean my ducks for me at the end of it. But, right. um, but when it comes to deer hunting, I'm, I'm the total opposite. And when, but what's funny is I had a saying when it comes to duck hunters that there's nothing a duck hunter hates more than another duck hunter. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like the ultimate Lex Luthor is another person that's duck hunting in the same area or, or even, even like I've even <laughs> been driving on I 10 30 miles from a piece of public land and I'll pass it, a guy pulling a boat. He's clearly going duck hunting. And I was like, F that guy, I got to beat him. You know, like yeah. who, who even uh, knows where he's going, but he's on the interstate and I hate him. You know what I mean? But, but when yep. it comes to deer hunting on public land, it is hard to find, uh, a, a breed like me or like you or somebody that isn't just in the woods, poking around, making, making a mess of things and stirring it up. It, it's hard to find somebody that is strategic and has, uh, unlimited reasons as to why they're hunting this tree in this corner in this transition on that ridge or in this this water spot or whatever you know it is so strategic uh, uh, the whole way that we think about going into the woods as a deer hunter and so when you find somebody that uh shares the same style or also the same methods that you do of of hunting on public land it's almost like, you know, you know, in Step Brothers when he's like, did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like that because just the fact that both of you are two miles in the middle of nowhere and you're both hunting mobile setups and you've got, you know, only what you need with you. You walked in and you're not complaining about it the whole time. That's usually a really good uh, like first step of us becoming friends or at least acquaintances out here, you know, because it's, I feel a lot different about people I meet deep, deep in the woods than I do unloading a four wheeler at the parking area, you know? Right. So I've had way more. And I, I mean, I know a lot of people can differ on this and have a different opinion, but I've had way more good experiences with meeting strangers, deer hunting on public land than bad. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could count the bad on I don't maybe one or two fingers actually, but there are guys that I've met on public, and my friends are the same way. You know, we'll, in our group text, one will be like, "Hey, I talked to so and so, and the deer are chasing here. They saw this, they saw that, and we're like, who is that? Oh man, I was two miles back in the woods, and he came walking up, was about to set up, and we got to talking, and you know about how we found that area and stuff and we text each other every now and then and see what's happening and yeah. I, that's kind of been my experience with the people that i meet on public land you know it, it's i've had way more good experiences than bad because you know a lot of times like you said if i see somebody where i'm at i got respect for that cat yeah absolutely he either did his homework or he's lost yeah yeah he, every, and if he's lost we're gonna help each other <laughs> help him get out the woods. <laughs> if he did his homework then so be it good luck to him you know yeah and that, that's just how it is um I had so a, I yeah had way a, more good experiences than bad i had a really interesting encounter um a couple a couple of hunts ago i was i was hunting over water and there was another ridge about 150 yards south of me um and uh like i said i hadn't seen another hunter all season this is the this is the guy that i saw in the in the um uh, in the woods with me. And, and like I said, he, he didn't disturb my hunt at all, but, um, I, I heard some deer running through the water and, 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 and one of, one of the times they were running, it was a buck chasing a doe. And, and you could tell she was like wide open sprint trying to run away from him. And he was just on her tail. The, about 15 minutes later, I heard what was, I mean, I, I guess the only way I could describe it was them running away like like trying to escape from somewhere because it was 
three deer running from one area in the same direction. And, and so I got my binoculars and I'm looking and I'm scanning the palmettos that are lining the, the side of this, um, the water that are lining the waterline, um, where the slough is kind of encroaching on the land and I see the deer and then I'm, you know, I see them running from right to left. And so I scan to the right and, um, I see a guy wearing Hunter's orange with his bow and he's about 80 yards from him. And he, I mean, bless this guy's heart. I don't know why he was doing this because the wind was way wrong to stalk that particular ridge. I mean, his wind was at his back blowing straight in front of him. So everywhere he walked, the deer already knew he was coming. And and so I, I climbed down and he was pretty far on the ridge and I saw him eventually standing in the spot that the deer had run from. And so I I was already climbing down and packing up my stand. And and so I paddled over and I talked to him and I said, man, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, these deer knew you were coming. I said, you probably, if you had taken it slow and had the right wind, you maybe could have snuck up on them and made a shot. And I said, but you know, the, I just watched them running away from you coming in the way that you did. Um, and he was nice as could be, um, you know, I didn't get his number or anything like that. Cause he, I don't know. I think he was, he didn't feel the same way you and I just described. I don't think he was happy to see me back there. I honestly, right. think, I honestly think he was a little embarrassed that somebody witnessed his poor stalking ability, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, he, um, you know, that was really neat to see him just to see, the style of another way somebody else hunts, you know, uh, good, good or bad, you know? Um, but you know, I haven't seen a lot of people in the woods this year and that's kind of been a vindication for me of being in the right spot, you know? Um, yeah, I, I I always, always, that's always a big win for me, you know? Um, I had a guy in Sherburn walk up on me one day. We took a long four wheeler ride. I had like a 45, 50 minute walk into the swamp. And had a guy come from the opposite direction. Really? And walked up on me. I was like, man, wh- where are you coming from? Ah, oh, parked over here. I'm like, how long have you been walking? About two hours. I'm like, man, Jeez, you, man, you should follow me out and let me bring you back to the truck. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't, I guess he just figured the further I walked, the better I am. You yeah. Know? And, I mean, shoot, he had gone all the way around. He was a lot closer from the way I came in. And he ended up jacking up right by me. I, we, we didn't really become friends either. Uh, <laughs> so he jacked it right after you, after you talked? He jacked it next to you? Oh, yeah. Oh he passed God. me up. He passed me up. And I said, man, my brother-in-law is on this next ridge about 125 yards. He probably went 60 yards past me and climbed a tree in a little S-curve. Oh, man. My brother-in-law shot right behind him. I turned around. I walked right under him. He wouldn't. never looked at me, never said a word. I just waved. Sorry, dude. I got to go help him find this deer. Found the deer, and then I walked right back under him, went, got back in my tree, and hunted till you know, 2 o'clock before we went and get the deer out of the woods. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, there there you I, go. I mean, so uh, he and I aren't – we aren't texting buddies. But uh, – <laughs> That's, that's, the, uh, that's the horror I mean, story type stuff that we hear, you know? Um, and yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, like, w- would I want somebody to do this to me? You know? Um, yeah. I have, I have set up, I, I have set up, um, within 50 yards of somebody before. And it was, and it's a really weird story. I, I, I think I explained this to somebody on Louisiana bow hunter community. I, it was a long, long message I wrote, but I was hunting a piece of public land and I, it was a, what was it? It was a Friday afternoon that I hunted. I set up my stand and, uh, climbed down after dark, left the sticks. Cause I fully intended to be back there first thing in the morning to hunt the same stand. And, um, the next morning I got lost to the parking area cause it was so foggy. I actually drove past it and long story short, didn't get to my stand until right at daylight, almost 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later than I wanted to. Well, when I set up in my tree, I had, you know, the sun came up. I'm looking, looking across the, uh, the little ridge that I'm hunting and I see another guy 50, 60 yards away. And he looks at me 
And he's shaking his head like, how did I get there? And I'm wondering, how did you get there? Right. We're like, we're in our trees looking at each other. And so I sign languaged my phone number to this guy. Right. That's how close we were. He could see, you know, how many fingers I was holding up. And so I gave him my phone number and he texts me. He said, Hey, it's me. And so I said, man, I think I came in after you. I apologize. I don't know how this happened. He goes, well, I know exactly how this happened. I climbed up here 45 minutes before daylight and put my headphones in and fell asleep. And when I woke up, you were in your tree. <laughs> and he wow. goes, he goes, I wasn't looking. I wasn't listening. I was, you know, listening to music, waiting for the sun to come up. And uh, apparently you didn't hang a tree stand. You just climbed up in the dark. Cause I don't, I don't walk in the woods with a headlamp at all. Right. Um, I do not. In fact, I was listening to, I don't listen to a whole lot of other podcasts. Um, you know, there's so many different styles to have them that I, sometimes the audio quality of other ones are so poor that I can't, I just can't listen to it. It's, it's too bad. And, um, but I was listening to the hunting public yesterday who, um, these are only public land hunters and they have a pretty informal style of, uh, it's almost like a, a panel style podcast. There's always at least four or five of them there. And, um, one of their topics was walking quietly in the woods. And one of the, and look, I'm sure I'm more than positive that people listen to this podcast and think that I have some idiotic views on things. I hope some people listen to it and they learn something, but I'll tell you, this is one of the few times I've ever disagreed with something I've heard on another podcast. This guy said, well, you don't want to walk on a bunch of sticks and stuff. So you be sure to always use your headlamp walking in. And I'm like, I would trade sound for sight any day of the week. Okay. I would. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? You're telling me you would illuminate the woods so that you make less noise. What that, that doesn't make any sense. You can see light much further away than you can hear somebody's footsteps. And, um, and so now, you know, not to jump on him too hard, but I don't know, maybe he meant a red LED. Maybe he meant only holding it, you know, in your hand on the ground to make sure you don't step anything and you're not like illuminating everything. But this guy made it sound like he wanted a, you know, a hundred, a hundred lumen headlamp and, and doesn't touch anything on the way in the woods. That's not a fair, that's not a good trade off to me. You know, I go in, in the dark and if it is too dark for me to like truly too dark for me to see where I might hurt myself walking in, in the dark, then I'd take my headlamp or, um, my little stream light or whatever I've got, whatever I've got, I cup my hand around it to where I have barely the light I need shining straight at the ground from about waist level to where I can see sticks and stuff, but I'm not illuminating anything in front of me or anything around me. Um, and so I climbed in my deer stand that day in the dark and ended up uh, 50, 60 yards from this other guy. And I told him over text message and I, and had this happen, I, I would have been a man of my word. I told him over text message, I said, man, we both have a good wind here. We're both within shooting range of each other. I will give you my word that if something, I don't care how big it is, if something comes along and you have a chance to kill it, I will let you have it. Uh, like I, I won't, I, I feel bad for being here right next to you. But at this point in time, we're in this situation and I would be screwing you up more if no I climbed down and moved, you know? And so, so I stayed there till 11 and, that, and left. Like talking about that, I, I, you know, growing up hunting public, I was always one of those. And another thing that one of my office taught me, Hey, get in there as early as you can, 30 minutes, 45 minutes before daylight. And, I've done that and I played that game. Uh, and a lot of times on public, you kind of have to do that to stake your claim sometimes to the yeah. area that you're in. But I've, I, I have absolutely no problem. If I know there's no one in there, I have absolutely no problem with walking, you know, the, maybe the main trail or whatnot for a good ways and getting to the edge of the woods where you got to turn in for the last four or 500 yards or whatnot mm-hmm. and wait until the crack of daylight to ease in there. I just feel like, like you said, I'd rather not light up the woods. Uh, and also, you can be so quiet, easing in there if you got a little bit of sunlight. 
And I, I just, I, I really don't have any issue with going in the woods right at shooting time or setting up anyway. Yeah. And I know some people might say, man, that's crazy. You got to get in there before daylight. But I, I can tell you, I don't know that I've ever jumped deer doing it. I can't tell you. I mean, obviously you don't know what you don't see. You know, mm-hmm. you sit there and you're like, man, I, I didn't see any deer today. Well, you don't know that you didn't spook a bunch because of the wind. Yep. I, I, I mean, how do you really know that? It's not like you hear them plowing away, but I would trade, you know, plowing through there and making a ton of racket for easing in there with just enough light to see and setting up quietly. To me, I, I don't mind that. I yeah. really don't. And uh, I learned that on some private land, actually, uh, you know, and, and I've used it on public land, typically because I was probably running late the first couple times it happened, mm-hmm. uh, but and, and ended up still having really good hunts. And I still like to get in there early. You, know, you get in there and catch you a little nap. I get it. <laughs> um, let the woods quiet down. But I'm not opposed to getting in there right at daylight. Now, that being said, a lot of times on public, I won't do it because I don't want to be that guy that walked underneath another guy right at daylight. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, whether his, whether there's a truck there or not, like I said, this one guy came from the opposite direction. So Yeah, you never know who's out there. You know, there. I could have easily walked right under him at daylight. Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, you say, you know, making a lot of racking in the woods or stomping your way in or whatever. Um when when we are walking through the woods and we're hearing ourselves walk, our ears are only, what, one to two yards away from our feet, right? One and a half, two yards away from our feet. So, of course, we experience the loudest that noise is going to be because we're right next to it, right? But, you know, if you're really curious of, like, how much noise do we actually make walking through the woods, if you ever have a friend with you, or let's say you shoot a deer and you're both tracking it and then you're 75 yards apart. Guess what? You can't hear him. And he's walking through the same stuff you you are. And now if it's dead still, dead quiet, yeah, you might be able to hear him a little bit. But it's not like walking on broken glass making every step is going to you know scare every deer in the, in the parish away. Right? Um, and so, right. you know, walking through dry leaves, like the driest of dry fresh off the tree hasn't been stepped on hasn't been rained on yet leaf still isn't that loud it 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 no it it's sounds the same like it is animals make walking through it yeah it's a different rhythm in the step of course um but it still isn't this resonating it's not like like I, I like you said yesterday when we were talking i think clanking your stand together is 10 times worse than breaking a twig personally oh, you know I'm way more, yeah, exactly. I'm way more uh, aware of banging the top and bottom piece of my stand together than I am walking. You know, I I take this away, for example. Those palmettos, you're really, unless you got a trail cut or you're walking a ditch, you're not going to get to your area quietly. Mm-hmm. But I also hear deer walking through that, and they aren't quiet. I mean, sometimes they are. I, granted, sometimes they have these little pass or they walk underneath them it's really weird how they can get through there quietly but other times they're making a heck of a racket yeah getting in there so it really doesn't bother me you know i get in there and i have my stand on my back and sometimes i'll get to a little thicker area and i'm like man i don't really see any way around this i don't feel like walking an extra 200 yards when i need to get right there i just walk through it yeah because that's what they do they walk through it. they make racket so I, it doesn't and like you said, I think if a deer is bedded up a hundred yards away, they're probably not hearing that. Yeah, and the, the woods, the woods aren't this quiet, serene place when we're not in them. You know, no. like they they hear they hear, you know, raccoons walking. They hear hogs pushing through everything. They hear other deer walking. And right. like I said, every animal has a different rhythm in which they step. Like some sounds natural, some some sound, uh, you know, unnatural. Like like the 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 rhythm in which we walk doesn't match the same rhythm in which a four-legged animal walks through the woods, of course. So it would sound different, therefore would alert a deer or an animal that something other than a deer is coming, right? But you have to be within 50 to 75 yards of that animal to scare it off. And so if you think you're hunting a big enough area where a deer is walking into your area from further than that away, what does it matter? You know, 
Um, right. It, it really isn't as big of a problem as you are creating. Is it's just you feel self conscious about it because you're making noise at all. Um, I would be much more focused on making sure that your stand uh, is quiet or you're doing a diligent job of um, a you know making sure that to not clank things together or or um, you know use your light too much or something like that. So, uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, let's, you know, I think we've been on the phone for about an hour now, David. You, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Not really, man. I think we're good. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I knew I knew in talking with you yesterday that when we recorded this, it was going to be a solid hour of good info, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you've been hunting the basin a long time. You, like, I know you haven't listened to a lot of our podcasts. You said you listened to some of the early ones, but I really try to not give places away. You know, I don't like to say, oh, I hunt Tensaw or, or you know, you're hunting Tunica Hills or Thistleweight or whatever. You know, I try to say public land, public land. But, I, you know, I will say in the Atchafalaya Basin, for how long and big that place is, I don't feel yeah. very self-conscious about saying that, you know, some of these basin <laughs> tactics are uh, applicable to other places because there's there's 10 times more private land in the basin than there is public, you know. Oh, yeah. So so all all of all of uh, the stuff we talked about today, like you said, you grew up hunting it in the basin and, and honing your skills in the basin. And then you you've applied them to your private land um, and you're still killing the hell out of deer, you know. I mean, all the basin stuff relates to any of the river parishes. Yeah. You can take what I do, what, you know, what we do down here on the Atchafalaya River and kill bucks with it all the way up to Arkansas. Yeah. As long as you're staying along the rivers and it doesn't matter what river, you're going to have a lot of the same topography. You know, you're going to be hunting some hardwoods. There's going to be some oaks. There's going to be water. There's going to be a bunch of those things that is exactly the same. That's what you're doing down here. It might look different. I have more cypress down here than up there, but it's you're hunting deer that are living their life around what the water does. Yeah. And that's basically the same exact thing as you're doing, you know, in St. Mary Parish all the way up to Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man. River, anyway. Yeah. Well, look, man, I appreciate you being on the show and, and taking, you know, part of your morning to do this with us. So, uh, so thanks again, man. Yes, sir. Not a problem. Well, good luck to you the rest of the season and let's talk soon. Yep. Thanks, man. You too. All right, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout-out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.